Well, today we're shooting outside at the church because I'm on quarantine because my wife has COVID. We're trying to be extra safe. And for those of you who have called or texted or emailed about my wife, she's doing very, very well. She's on full recovery and we really do appreciate uh, all the concerns and all the prayers. And today as we're looking at 2 Thessalonians, we're looking at this concept again of the day of the Lord, which is kind of ambiguous. So think of it this way, like why hasn't God rewarded good doers yet fully and finally and why hasn't he punished evildoers like what's holding it back right isn't it time to fix some stuff isn't it time to punish some people today paul's going to explain what happens before the day of the lord and why and what is restraining the day of the lord now and here's a little secret did you know that uh, the mission and vision of horizon community church is directly related to what is restraining and holding back the day of the Lord. Now, that probably sounds like a pastor story, right? Yeah, sure, I, I bet it is, Chad. Or maybe it's an exaggeration. Or maybe you're just saying, what do you mean? Well, before I show you some of the indicators for the day of the Lord that Paul mentions, and some of the things to look out for or understand, what I love about Peter is Peter is talking about the same issue, and he gives it very succinctly in a verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack, as some consider slackness, concerning his promise, but he is long-suffering or patient with us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, the reason God's restraining the day of the Lord is because he wants as many people as possible to come to know him before he brings consequences or impartial justice. He wants people to know his son, to know forgiveness, to know grace, to know beauty, to know the God who made them and to spend eternity with them. So Paul's gonna lay out today to the Thessalonians, like why, why is the day of the Lord you not missed it? Well, because the man of lawlessness hasn't come yet. Look out for him. And there's a plan. There's the man and then there's the plan. What is it that God's doing that's waiting on this restraining? And then thirdly, what can we do, the can? What can we do in the meantime to join God, what he's up to? Let's look at the first one together. So the first thing Paul talks about is the man. It's kind of like the seasons. As the seasons are changing, right, you can tell. The colors begin to change on a bush and eventually all the leaves fall off. That's kind of the idea Paul's getting at here. The day of the Lord, it's gonna come as a surprise, but it doesn't mean you can't check and see the seasons. And one of the leaves are going to fall off, so to speak, before the day of the Lord is a man of lawlessness. And this man, don't be deceived by this man, either the final version of him or some of the earlier versions of him. There's a final antichrist, but there's a lot of little antichrist between now and then. Now, let's read the passage together. And like we've done on the magnet board, I want to show you which concepts or prepositional phrases uh, support the others to get Paul's main idea. He says, let no one deceive you. Now, that's his main idea. Now, supporting that is, by any means. For the day of the Lord's not going to come until certain leaves drop, certain things happen. Number one, the falling away comes first. This global idea that people who said they believed in God, the Bible, and Jesus slowly move away from everything that the Bible, God, and Jesus talked about. There's a global falling away 
from truth. That's the first leaf. The second is the man of sin is revealed, also known as the son of perdition or the son of eternal punishment. Oof. Now, the whole rest of this chunk supports this guy. Like, what is this guy going to be like? Well, number one, he opposes the things of God. Two, he exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped so that he, this man of lawlessness or sin, sets himself as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So who is this? Who is this guy and and what's he getting at here? Well, there's a lot of views. I want to give you three or four of them. One view is, don't read Daniel or Revelation into Thessalonians. Let it speak for itself. So he's just saying that there is some person who's going to bring about a philosophy or a a way of thinking that's desire is to get you steering away from God. So it could be a little old philosopher, a little old professor in some college anywhere whose ideas begin to grow and grow and grow. Could be something like uh, Nietzsche or, or Karl Marx. I read a book recently called The Devil and Karl Marx, which talks about how Karl Marx really had a real affinity to evil, and maybe his ideas began to grow and spread. Maybe it's postmodernism, the idea that there's nothing you can believe that's true anymore about yourself, about God, about life. In fact, one of my favorite prophetic works is written by Friedrich Nietzsche. It's called The Madman. Let me read it to you. It's a poem. I'll just read you a few excerpts, but it really speaks to a philosophy of lawlessness that Friedrich Nietzsche seemed to get the fact that by disconnecting truth from God, he was going to turn the world upside down. Where is God gone? He called out. I mean to tell you, we have killed him, you and I. We are all his murderers. Who gave us a sponge to wipe away the whole horizon? What did we do when we loosened the earth from its sun? Whither does it now move? Whether do we move now away from all suns? Do we not dash on unceasingly, backwards and sideways and forwards in all directions? Is there still an above and below? Do we not stray as though infinite nothingness? What's he saying here? He's saying for the first time in history, we disconnected the knowledge of truth from who God is. And pretty soon we've unanchored the earth from the sun. We as a culture, we as a people are not going to know which way is up and which way is down. We are totally disconnected from reality. That certainly could be. So maybe this idea of the man of lawlessness is a simple philosophy of disconnection from truth. However, I think it's okay to read the Old Testament into the New Testament because it was written by Jewish scholars reading their Bible, the Old Testament. And I think that the description that Paul gives us of this man of lawlessness or son of partition sounds an awful lot like the little horn in the book of Daniel. Here's what it says in Daniel, speaking of the Antichrist. Then there came a little bitty horn. It came up through the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground. And he, the Antichrist, the little horn, exalted himself, sounds like what Paul just said, as high as the prince of hosts. And in the latter time, another version, this is the final version, not in Daniel's time, later on time, in the time of the latter kingdoms, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, it's no longer restrained, a king will arise having fierce features, 
Therefore, Daniel, seal up this vision. People are going to need it in the future. For it refers to many days in the future to come. So it could be. Could be that the descriptions of these two passages sound very similar, that this man to be revealed is the Antichrist, a king of the world that will set up a seven-year treaty with Israel. Now, some people think everything in Revelation is actually in the past because there are several people, Greeks, uh, Romans, who set themselves up as God back in the day. So they thought, hey, the leaves are falling. I mean, they're, they're long gone here. Haven't you seen our coinage? We have Antiochus said that he has set himself up as Zeus on earth. Where did God a guy claiming to be God? And then a little bit later, you have Trajan at 180. Trajan shows up and says the same thing. Worship me, emperor. I am God. So many people take the tribulation as something that happened in the first century. Yet, I don't think that's true. I think there is some problems with that. The son of perdition is the son of eternal punishment. See, none of those kings were eternally punished. None of those philosophers were as well. So I don't think that's the idea he's getting at, and I don't think that really brings, um, brings a full idea to bear. In fact, when they were digging into the Qumran caves, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually found some scrolls that were written about the Jewish thinking of the time of this idea of the man of lawlessness that would come before the final days. They called him the father of lies, the, the traitor of traitors, the, the one who would come and, and as he came, he would lead everyone astray and away from the truth about God. I happen to believe I think it's the Antichrist. But what's interesting is both Jesus and Paul and the apostles say, we're not just worried about an Antichrist in the future. There, there's, a, there's one coming in the future. But there are a lot of little antichrists, little a antichrists coming along the way. You remember Paul's main idea? Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived by the big a antichrist coming in the future, but also don't be deceived now by the little antichrists that try and lead you and I away from God. We got to be careful lest we be deceived. So Paul's main idea here he doesn't want us to be deceived by anything, a philosophy in the past or the present or the future, an antichrist in the past, the present or the future. Now, last week I addressed the idea that God doesn't want us always wandering around going, do I, do I have my salvation? Do I not? Can I lose it? We talked about the doctrine of eternal security. However, God doesn't want us to be deceived and Paul doesn't want us to be deceived into drifting away from God, that we, we get to heaven, but wow, by the skin of our teeth, or by barely escaping fire, to use one of his phrases. This last couple of years has been filled with stories of pastors, celebrity pastors, almost in every arena I've known, some of my absolute heroes who've just drifted or fallen away. Now, I think they'll still be in heaven, but man, they become a sad story to themselves, to their spouses, to their kids, to their church that followed them. And I remember as a kid, I used to listen to this worship leader named Keith Green. I love Keith Green. There is a Redeemer is one of his songs you may have sung or heard in a, a hymn book. But one of my favorite songs that I used to listen to while I was swimming in our pool growing up was, I don't want to fall away from you, from you. In the last 10 years, I've listened to that song an awful lot. Just saying, God, I don't want to be my son or daughter's sad story. 
I don't want to be my church's sad story. I don't want to be your sad story, God. Thank you that you've forgiven me. I don't want to drift. I don't want to fall away from you. I know I'm going to heaven, but man, I don't want to be, I want to finish well. See, I don't hear those stories in the newspaper and go, look at those people and look down on them like I would never do that. Rather, I read those stories and say, everything that's in them is in me. God, thank you that by your grace, so far, I'm nowhere near those things. But Father, help me stay close to you, stay near you, so I don't. One of the stories in history that struck me the most was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was struck in his day, right, as uh, Hitler was rising to power, he was struck by how so many had fallen away from the gospel, fallen away from truth. He had done his doctoral work in the, the nature of the church, and that the church was this unique expression of grace and mercy God gave that brings together Jews and Gentiles alike. Yet he heads over to America, to New York City. He started visiting churches. He said, I could not find any biblical preaching anywhere. Oh, people talk about being a good person and being a nice person, which is great, but it's not the gospel. He said, as I began to look, I just noticed that all the churches began to just become wishy-washy and wobble away from the truth about God, the truth about the Bible, the truth about what he says. He said, I tell you, I came to some African-American churches in New York City. I'd never been to one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Man, they could preach the Bible. Man, they knew the Bible. I made some of the best friends there. He was a German Lutheran who was used to singing German Lutheran hymns. He said, man, I've never experienced music and worship like the black gospel music I experienced in New York City. But mostly I saw incredible, deep, worshipful teaching focused on truth. He heads back to Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer begins to experience the church that's being deceived by Adolf Hitler, who who gets the church on his side initially. And then uh, Hitler decides, how do I get these German Lutherans to support my idea that the Jews are to blame for all this? So he pulls out some racist writings by Martin Luther and uses those to substantiate to the German Lutherans that God agreed with Adolf Hitler, that the Jews were the problem. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer rails against this, rails and speaks again and again. again. Don't be deceived. Now, Adolf Hitler wasn't the ultimate antichrist, but he had a lot of similarities. And there will be leaders through history. There will be teachers through history. There'll be pastors through history. There'll be ideas through history that try and lead us astray. Let's be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let's say to our generation, to our family, to ourselves, God, I don't want to fall away from you, and I don't want to be deceived. So now we move from the man to the plan. What is God's restraining plan, and how can you and I be part of it? I don't know if you've ever walked around our lake, but this lake was built with a dam around it to hold it in. When the water reaches a certain level, It flows over a spillway we have right over there. This is the idea that Paul's going to unpack from Isaiah into 2 Thessalonians here. That as the water fills up in heaven, as the reservoirs of heaven are filled up, God's restraining it like the dam holds things back, but it's eventually going to come pouring out. Every time you've prayed, or I've prayed, we've thought, God, do you hear 
Are you ever going to answer? Those prayers and those tears have been deposited into the reservoir of heaven. Every time you thought, they got away with it. No, they didn't. It filled up the reservoir of heaven. And God is holding back or restraining it because he has a plan. But when his restraining plan is over, his justice will be poured out. Now to understand that, let's again look at how this passage is outlined the same way we're doing it with the magnet board. Paul comes in the next verse and says, I told you these things. All right, what are these things? Well, the next couple verses indent over and explain that. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I was still with you? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. And notice the word what. This is not a he or she, it's a what. Whatever this restraining plan is, it's a thing. There is some thing that's keeping the day of the Lord from coming. What is that thing? Well, Paul says, I told you about that. Remember the thing. Well, what thing? The restraining thing. The plan plan. All right. Well, let's see if we can figure this out. He goes on. He's just called the restraining plan a neutered, a neuter, meaning not masculine, not feminine. And then he goes on and changes it a second later. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So there's going to be a final expression of that with the man of lawlessness. But in one sense, there's antichrist, there's anti-God people all through history. Only, now look at this, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Which is it, Paul? Is it an it is restraining or is it a he who's restraining? According to Paul, it's both. There's both an it and a he. Now, I've heard for years, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's taken away, that's why it's definitely the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe. Certainly would make sense with the pre-tribulational rapture, that until the rapture occurs and the Holy Spirit's taken away, who's been restraining the day of the Lord, would all make a lot of sense. Let's see if we can not just listen to a commentary or remember what a pastor said. Let's see if we can figure out what Paul's saying to see if it really is. And, and even if it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's a he, but he's not an it. To understand that, we need to go back to Isaiah. You see, Paul has Isaiah 66 in his mind the entire time. Now, let me show you that. I want to put Thessalonians, the first chapter, side by side with Isaiah 66 to show you these ideas he's got back to back. Notice, in uh, Isaiah it says, For behold, the Lord will come, but in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, he said, the Lord Jesus revealed. Next verse in Isaiah, he's going to come with fire and with flames of fire. 2 Thessalonians says, in flaming fire. He says over in Isaiah, to render his anger and fury. Over in Thessalonians, taking vengeance. That's anger and fury. Hmm. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh. And over there in 2 Thessalonians, these shall be punished from the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Now, what's my point? Paul's meditating on Isaiah. It is just flowing out as he's writing in 2 Thessalonians. Well, if that's so crystal clear in chapter 1, might it be clear in chapter 2? Let's figure out what's going on in Isaiah 66 that may be influencing his verb choices and his explanation of the restrainer when he gets to 2 Thessalonians.
Let's just stay with me here. Look what happens next. Now in Isaiah 66, he goes on. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my namesake, said, Oh, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who repays fully his enemies. What's he saying there? In Isaiah's day, he's saying, there are some people saying, God's judgment's not going to come upon us. You've said God's going to restore the temple one day. You've said God's going to judge us one day. No, he's not. Fellow Hebrews were denying God's coming and denying God's promises in Isaiah. And God says in Isaiah, they think they can make fun of this, but there will be joy in the city. I will restore my city. I will restore my promises. You can count on me. Paul's applying that in Thessalonians to say, you got fellow Hebrews saying, God's not coming. You missed the day of the Lord. No way, Jose. God doesn't keep his promises. Here's how Paul says it in Thessalonians. Now the man of sin is revealed who opposes and exalts himself. Now that word opposes is the same Greek word used in Isaiah 66 in the Septuagint. What's a Septuagint? It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew text that many Pharisees were reading during the time. Paul's often quoting from that. So Paul seems to be using that in the same way that there were people who denied, fellow Jews, denying that God would keep his promises back in Isaiah's day. That's what's going on here. Fellow Hebrews, fellow Judaizers are saying and opposing, same word, hating God's work and saying God doesn't keep his promises. The Antichrist is the ultimate hater or opposer of God. Hold that in mind. Let's go one more portion of Isaiah. And here's where it starts getting clear. In Isaiah it says, Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Now it takes nine months to give birth. So a nation will be born at once. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery? says the Lord, shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb. So here's what he's saying. Just like a woman goes through birth pangs, nine months and then birth pangs start coming and then there's a delivery. God's like, am I going to start this thing, this pregnancy, start this labor and not let it come to fruition? Of course not. I didn't shut up her womb. Again, the Greek word of the Septuagint there of shut up is the same word he uses in 2 Thessalonians when he says, restraining. So again, let's go back to Isaiah. I have been restraining for a time, but after nine months, she's going to give birth. In the same way he mentions Israel is going to one day give birth to a Messiah. And I am restraining the day of the Lord. So now we figured out the who. The Lord, the Holy Spirit is God, is the one that's restraining or holding back. Because he says in Isaiah, and now you know what is restraining. The Holy Spirit's not a what, but keep going. But it's the same word as opposing. I don't shut up or I don't oppose. I don't restrain God's work. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, this is God, who now restrains will be taken out of the way. So the same God who restrained in Isaiah is the Holy Spirit who will be taken out of the earth so that all of God's reward, all of God's justice will come to bear. All right, so we figured out the who. The Holy Spirit's the who that's been restraining. What's the what? The word restraining was used twice here. God doesn't stop with the what or the who. 
Well, let's jump to one more passage in Isaiah. Stay with me. We're going to get application here, I promise. So in Isaiah 66, 19, it says, I will set a sign, and those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. What's he talking about? He's got a plan to reach people who are not Hebrews, people who live far off. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. And I will also make some of them Gentiles, priests, and Levites, says the Lord. Now we're getting to the what? One of the things that's restraining the day of the Lord is that he wants Gentiles to become Levites and priests. He wants Gentiles who are far off from him to come to know his glory, to get to know who he is. Now let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. Now you know what is restraining. The thing I talked to you about, the mystery of the church age. God wanted people, you and I, Jews and Gentiles, to know who he is. The what is the gospel. It's our mission to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. He, God, restrains, and the plan to bring Gentiles into the fold both restrain, which is why you and I can be part of the plan. Now, this is said much more succinctly by Jesus and by Ezekiel. Look what he says. He says here in uh, Ezekiel, For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of the Gentiles. And it's exactly what Jesus said in Luke. For these are the days of vengeance I'm talking about, that all things which are written may be fulfilled, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. He's talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, until the final time of the day of the Lord, the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. How can you and I be part of the plan to restrain the day of the Lord and ultimately bring it about? When you and I build relationships with our neighbors, when you and I tell other people about the God who loves us and who forgives us, we can be part of the plan because right now, what's restraining God's coming is He wants everyone to come to know Him. So we move from the man of lawlessness to the plan of God's restraining, to now we're looking at the can. Convince as many as we can. We get to be part of God's plan. The church, what we're doing as a church is part of God's plan. So let's again unpack this passage, just like we've been doing before, to see kind of what supports what. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. God's going to conquer evil. The coming of the lawless one, now look at all this stuff supports that, is according to the working of Satan. That doesn't sound good. With all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because, and here it is, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. God wants everyone to come to know him and many did not receive it. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They kept saying, no God, no God, no God. God said, all right, try that out then. That all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure 
in unrighteousness. And there it is. There's going to come a time that God's mercy and God's grace is over. But until then, God wants us to convince as many people as we can, right? It's like each person matters. Imagine you came across a pile of rocks here, and it's like there's hundreds of them. How am I ever going to get hundreds, thousands of them into the water? You build a relationship with one. You tell your story to one. You talk what God's done your life to one. And it makes a difference. And the ripple effects go out from that life to another life. And you build another relationship with somebody you work with. You build a relationship with someone who needs to receive the truth, know the truth, experience the wisdom or or love of God. Same thing. God, help me convince as many as I can. Help them to know you, to know your truth. I had a neighbor several years ago, and he had just a horrible experience with God and with religion. We lived uh, down the street from one another, and we began to talk about just life and marriage and parenting, just talking about real stuff, hard stuff and easy stuff and fun stuff. We got to talk about spiritual matters. He said, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. Let me tell you about the medical stuff I went through. Let me tell you about the kids I saw die around me when I was in the hospital. Wow, that, I can't even imagine. But we built a friendship. We went jet skiing together. We went hanging out together. And over time, he began to ask questions. About a year and a half later, this was before we even built this building, he started to come to CCD, where we used to meet. When we moved in this new building, we sent out personal invitations, and I sent an invitation to my friend. He started coming. Now, did I convince him? No. I just create a context or a relationship or environment where God could do the convincing. Because I know that God longs for people to come to know Him. And on those final days, at the Bema seat, right? After the rapture, we come before God. And you know what matters? You know what lasts for eternity? People. At the Bema seat, we are rewarded for the way in which we reflect the love of God in others. And that's his point. I think that's our key takeaway today. Receive the love of truth and as Christians, reflect the love of truth, right? 2 Thessalonians 2.10, because they did not receive the love of the truth. That's what he wants for you and I, for us to receive the love of the truth. But they didn't, that they might be saved. So one of the things he calls us to do is to reflect the love of the truth on others. In the same way that this reflecting pool reflects the image of our church onto the lake, you and I are to reflect the love of God He gave us unto others, the compassion He gave us unto others, the supernatural forgiveness and acceptance He gave His enemies, we reflect on others. We want to love the truth because only the truth can set us free. But then we want to reflect it to those who don't believe, those who consider themselves enemies of God, those who think that we're crazy or self-righteous or caught up in fear. We want people to know that we emulate, we walk around with the incarnation of unconditional love because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We receive and we reflect that spirit of truth. Just keep being a friend, keep praying, keep building a relationship and say, God, I can't convince anybody. I'm just going to reflect onto others and trust Him to be the one who is the ultimate source of reckless love and the one who can make a way where there seems to be no way. Let's pray and worship together. Father, thank you so much for your unconditional love and thank you for this passage, as confusing as it started out to be, a reminder of your incredible love for us 
and for our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for worshiping with us today. We just continue to thank God that He's allowing us to come and to read the Bible, to worship together, to pray together. In fact, the book of Revelation ends by describing God's connection with us like a dinner feast, a great invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So as we close today, I just want to thank God for the way in which He, in this end time stuff we're describing, is really ultimately not about charts. It's about an invitation to dine with us. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and he who opens the door, I come in and I dine with him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we can hold on to the goodness of God, whatever worries or anxiety or uncertainties around us. Father, we thank you that we put our trust in you. And Father, teach us how we can love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask one more question. Actually, let me do it one more time. I want to add one piece to it. Take two. This is the closing for equipping 11-15-20 at the end of the service. Well, thank you for worshiping with us today. If you'd like to give back, we have set up a giving tree right as you come in the front door of the church. And it's our chance to give back to God. Because until God's kingdom comes to earth, there are needs all around us, nationally and internationally as well. So if you want to stop by and get one of the ornaments off our giving tree, it's a chance to give to those in our immediate community with Parish Ministries, buy a gift for a family through City Gospel, or be part of the work we do with Back to Back. Now, maybe because of COVID, you don't want to come into the building yet. Feel free to call us at the church. Call and say, I'd like a personal shopper. And we actually have a team set up who will help you pick the gift you want and to go in to get that. And so we can provide for those in our community. Now, the Bible describes the ultimate day of the Lord as a wedding feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Jesus invites all of us to come and to dine with Him. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door to me, I will come in and dine with him. Let's not forget that all this study of the end times isn't about charts. It's about an invitation to get closer to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy and your goodness. And thank you for your faithfulness to our church as we find these unconventional ways to worship together, to teach together, and to love you more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.